The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Diana Marzalek. I am with Provoke Media. Our guest today is Kevin Whalen. Kevin is Managing Director of the Geyer Group based in Boston. Nice to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Maybe you can give us a quick overview for our friends who don't know the Gaia Group um, about what you are and, and your clients and who you serve and all that good stuff. Great. Yeah, Gaia Group's a B2B tech PR agency. We have about 50 people, 40 clients, all B2B tech. Uh, we also do a healthy analyst relations business. We have folks on the team who only do analyst relations. Uh, we do, obviously, media relations. We have folks who do content development. We have a social media team. And events and even people that do things like the marketing tech stack, Marketo, HubSpot, and things like that. So nice, well-rounded team, great group of clients, clusters of uh, cybersecurity, which is where I come out of. Um, mm-hmm. Charlie Geyer, who founded the company, comes from a networking and telecom background. So we got a nice cluster of clients there and then a whole bunch of other spaces in sure tech, fintech, and all kinds of applications. All kinds of software. tech. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever tech, you got it. B2B tech, uh, we do it. Okay, great. Um, so we are here to talk about a specific, um, I don't know what we call it, practice or um, um, service, but it's analyst relations. Um, you don't hear too much about that in in general in PR firms. So I'm hoping that you can, I know you have a fairly robust analyst relations practice. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps you can start off by explaining, at least to me, if our listeners know what it is, God bless them, but at least to me, what are, what analyst relations is. Sure. Well, uh, Charlie and I both have a background inside companies running large analyst relation functions. We both spent the vast majority of our careers in-house, so we kind of have a unique perspective. We haven't been in agency world for our whole lives. And in enterprise tech, analysts play a key role in evaluating vendors in terms of their product, their ability to uh, compete, scale, uh, meet market demands. So companies will, you know, brief and work with analysts to educate them about their products and strategy. And buyers will come to the analysts for advice about which of these vendors is the best fit to help me solve my problem. So analysts sit in the middle between the buyer and the vendor and are a trusted source of uh, information for buyers, for IT you know, decision makers. And analysts influence billions and billions of dollars in IT purchases every year. It's a very important function. And it's one that unless you've worked inside a company, it's really hard to acquire the skills to do analyst relations from the agency side. So that's, I think, one thing that makes Gaia Group a little bit different. And so are analyst relations usually handled in-house is what you're saying? Or I know Yeah, usually there's someone in-house or a team in-house. Um, you know, I've seen it everything from a single practitioner that manages analyst relations for the for the company, and I, in Charlie's case, he worked as at Cisco and ran a team of thirty people just for their service provider division at Cisco. So AR is a you know it's part of corporate communications. It's a pretty robust function. It's not inexpensive to run an AR program. You have to buy seats and licenses at all these different firms and big ticket items, and uh, it's a, you know very strategic function within the corporate communication realm. Well, so tell me, you just mentioned. Getting what did you say? Buying seats at firms. What what did you mention about it? That is, it's different than like going to pitch a newspaper <laughs> or a. Oh, for sure, right. So yeah. journalists are typically working really quickly. They're on deadline. They want to get to their next story. 
Uh, you know, they're looking for a little tension uh, in the story. Whereas an analyst is really more of a long game. Uh, it's something that you, you work on year round um, to try to educate the analysts about what your company's doing and the strategy. And, um, you know, analyst relations is much, I think, more strategic in the sense that it's really about building a relationship. One of the things I think a lot of companies get wrong about analyst relations is they think it's about talking to the analysts. We just have to tell them how good our company is and they're going to turn around and write nice things about us. Mm-hmm. A really good analyst relations program is really more about listening than it is talking. It's about a two-way dialogue. You should really be getting a lot out of the analysts in terms of their expertise. They're sitting in the center of the action. They're hearing from all of your competitors. They have great insights to share with you about your own company, about your messaging, about your product strategy, about your partnerships. So if you're open to listening, you can really glean a lot of great information from the analysts in your engagement and interaction with them that can then be used in PR with better messaging, with new angles, uh, fresh takes on issues of the day. So analysts play that key role and um, a good AR program will really, I think, benefit more you know, than just getting a nice thing written up in a report by an analyst. It's really about that two-way dialogue where you get the most value out of those relationships. Well, I mentioned the seats. I'm sorry, please go on. Please go on. I I wanted to get to the subscription thing. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. When you work with Gartner or IDC or Forrester, they have all this research and you have to subscribe to it. And it's $50,000, $60,000, $70,000 for access per person to have access to their research. So it's not an inexpensive function to have seats at multiple analyst firms. It's quite expensive. So when you say per person, so for Geyer to be able to work with an analyst group, it's fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars dollars To have access to the research. Yeah. To so you have to subs- yep. So you get a subscription, like a seat license, and that seat license gives you access to Gartner, Forrester, whoever, uh, to their research. And when you become a subscriber, you get certain access to the analyst. You're, you're allowed to do inquiries. So a lot of folks think analyst relations is just let's do a briefing with the analyst. Let's get them to give us a quote for our press release. And that's kind of what it is. When you have an actual paid relationship with an analyst, you probably only do two briefings a year with them where you're presenting to them and telling your story and your roadmap. Most interactions with analysts are what they call inquiry. And inquiries are where you're asking questions of the analyst and they're imparting advice. So it's much more strategic. It puts the it kind of elevates the analyst to the role of uh, strategic consultant, and you're supposed to come into these inquiries with questions to try to overcome a challenge in the market. You know, our funnel is being stalled at this stage. What, you know, what can we do better? Our competitors are going in this direction. Does that make sense for us? And in that back and forth, the analyst learns about your company. You learn more about the market, and that's how these firms want to engage with you. They're they're not really interested in sitting through your briefings. That's why you only do it a couple of times a year. The real relationship comes from the inquiries, which are regular updates and check-ins on a variety of topics. But that's the way that these relationships are built is through inquiry, not through briefings. And most people don't get that. So the analyst relations organization, in this case, you, pay the analyst corporation. And I imagine that the companies that are buying the products that are listening to the analysts also pay for access. Correct? Yeah, we all subscribe to Gartner. We subscribe as a as a vendor. Mm-hmm. IT companies, you know, S&P 500, even smaller companies subscribe to Gartner. And it's all about getting access to the analysts. 
to you know learn more from them, learn about the market, learn how you can improve your company. Mm-hmm. And if you're a buyer, you know which of these companies has the best product to solve my problem. Right. So, so why are you not seeing this more widespread in terms of agencies doing this kind of work? That's a good question. I, I think mostly it's because it's a it's a little bit of a black art. It's uh, definitely something I think you need to learn from the inside of a company mm-hmm. rather than at an agency. Just being inside uh, running an AR function, there's fewer of those folks than there are PR people in the world. So there's just you know it's a numbers game, and then just agencies. I guess don't have the in-house talent a lot of times to run a best practices AR program. There are some agencies that do it extremely well, and there are some agencies that only do AR, but most PR agencies kind of do it at a high superficial level where they think about it in terms of getting a quote for a press release and or let's just do a briefing ahead of our next product release, kind of the you know, at the at a basic level. Hmm. And I, I imagine this is, I mean, do you see this for con- consumer products also, or this is really a B2B thing, so you can influence the buyer? There's, you know, it's consumer too. We don't really play in that area, but in, in the IT world, it's it's definitely, you know, they say, uh, you know, nobody ever gets fired for uh, for choosing a leader in a Gartner Magic Quadrant. Like in the 50s, no one got fired if you picked IBM. Analysts have great influence on buyers, and most of these firms have their their prestige report like for Gartner it's a magic quadrant Forrester has waves IDC has marketscapes and if you come up in a nice you know leader position in those reports it can drive millions of dollars every year in revenue for your company because you've been blessed by the industry experts to have a superior product to your competition so that at the end of the day that's what people are trying to do is be in the upper right corner of those quadrants and be mm-hmm. positioned as a leader to show the market, we've been evaluated against all of our competition by independent third-party uh, analysis, analyst experts, and you know we're the leader. And that really is a great way to differentiate your company and to drive some serious revenue uh, when people go to download that report. So I guess going back to basics in my world, it's like being recommended by consumer reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 the good housekeeping seal of approval. <laughs> Just from, on a whole uh, other you know, level. <laughs> from the industry, from the industry experts. And they they move um, you know, tens of billions of dollars a year in purchasing decisions happen because of where you come out in some of these magic quadrants. Really? And you know, those are six-month-long processes uh to participate in a magic quadrant. You know, there's briefings and there's demos and there's deadlines and there's spreadsheets to fill out. And it's a it's a pretty extensive process. And uh, you really need a mini plan within your AR strategy. You need to have set plan just to handle a magic quadrant or a wave report within your overall AR strategy because they're very time-consuming, intensive. Another thing about AR, it can't be done in a vacuum. You can't do AR just within a comms function. You're going to need folks from product marketing. You're going to need some folks from sales to fill out the spreadsheet for a magic quadrant. You're going to need help from finance to give them the numbers. So it really is a cast of thousands to participate in a Magic Quadrant. So you really need to have like a dedicated Magic Quadrant team um, to to do the um, to do the response and participate in the report. So AR is very strategic function, and it's also a function inside that has to play nice with others because you're pulling in lots of different areas of the company to participate in these reports. So forgive me, but you're referring to Magic Quadrant. That being what is the magic? So that, oh, magic Quadrant is Gartner, and that's their number one report that they issue on the different markets. So, you know, 
networking equipment, semiconductors, servers, storage. Each one of those market spaces has a magic quadrant where they identify, you know, the leaders, the laggards, the up and comers and innovators. And that's all laid out in these detailed magic quadrant reports. So it's the industry report card is how, you know, how some people look at it. And you know, no one wants to come home with a C or a D on their report card, especially when <laughs> A's and B's drive millions of dollars in revenue. So um, do so now is AR um, like your AR team? Do you work in tandem with the PR team or is it kind of separate but together? How does that happen? How does that work? It's very complimentary in my mind. I mean, because now I'm in, you know, at an agency now where we're doing AR, we're doing PR. There's all kinds of you know messaging and content ideas and positioning and competitive analysis that you can glean from an analyst relations program that feeds into your other external comm activities like media relations and social media. So um, I think AR is a is a good feeder for a, a media relations program in terms of the insights that you get on the market, uh, topics, ideas, trends, what's happening. Uh, analyst relations to be effective. Should do the, the work that you do in AR should be shared across the company because it impacts the whole business and because people from the whole company have participated in the AR process. You want to recirculate what's happening in the company to give it sort of visibility so leadership can understand what's happening. Why are we making these huge investments in all these analyst firms? It's something that should definitely not happen in a silo. It really needs to be a collaborative uh, effort, but. Uh, you know, those are basically the report cards uh, of the industry for IT buyers, Magic Quadrants, Waves, and, and those marquee reports. And how often or how maybe you can tell me of instances where your clients, whatever feedback or report they're getting in the Magic Quadrant or whatever it is, actually changes, you know, their business or their business model or their product or what they have to do differently. I mean, is that Regularly. We've seen it. We've seen it on both sides where, you know, you come out as a leader in a magic quadrant and you put that on the front page of your website and people click it and they have to give you their name and email to download the magic quadrant. And that's demand gen and it, mm -hmm. it drives thousands of leads and millions of dollars in revenue. So it can really, if you're a smaller company and you come out in a great position, it can, you know, really put some wind in your sails in terms of revenue growth and market position. And the same thing on the flip side can happen if you're, not happy with where you are. Um, there are certain escalation processes that each firm has that you go through to sort of push back against your score or your rating. And, you know, we've done that before with clients too. And you need to be familiar with what those processes are within, you know, the window of the report uh, timeframe. So where you land is critically important. And a lot of people are happy and even more than that are unhappy with uh, <laughs> always <laughs> there's only one yeah. winner right um if it's that expensive or it's very expensive to do this kind of work and to get a seat at those tables and communication yeah. i mean there there's got to be a bunch of smaller companies that are definitely worthy that are not part of this process yeah the analyst relations world you know the attention goes to the big guys to the gartners and the foresters because they are the biggest brands they drive the most revenue from enterprise buyers, but there's lots of different analyst firms out there, like in sh different shapes and sizes, from people who used to be a Gartner and Forrester, who now are single shingle analysts on their own, to smaller, more boutique firms that have a different way of working, maybe a little bit less formal and process driven like the big people, but that would be a firm like ESG, 
which has really smart analysts, is really great to work with, um, and you know can be a great content development partner for you uh, in terms of developing demand gen assets and white papers and eBooks and things like that. So there's lots of different kinds of analysts. There's even now like hybrids who are analysts slash journalists. So they may do some uh, analyst relations and consulting, but they also have a column in a top magazine like CSO or CIO. Uh, so there's like hybrids now too. So the world of analyst relations has changed a bit with, I'd say the growth of uh, these boutique type firms. Mm -hmm. And we always encourage clients to not ignore the smaller firms because they're easier to work with. They're far less expensive. And when you get in that back and forth dialogue, you can really glean a lot of important insights that can help your business in terms of your positioning, your product strategy, who you should be thinking about partnering with. You really get a lot of value from the relationships with, you know, I don't want to say tier two, but you know the, the non-giants of the industry right. uh, can really be helpful to the business. And like I said, they're a lot easier to work with. You, know, you put in a request to meet with a Gartner analyst, it can take five weeks to get on their schedule. And you don't have to go through those kind of process with with the smaller guys. Right. How um how well versed are the smaller tech companies in this whole arena? Are you still having to convince or introduce or discuss this with them to get them on board? Or is this kind of in tech, everybody knows about analyst relations and working with analysts? Pretty much everybody in tech understands the role, I think, of analysts and how important it is. Some, you know, small, we help a lot of companies come out of stealth. And, you know, for the question for them is when is the right time to start engaging with analysts? And we would say why you're still in stealth. So they know exactly who you are when you come out and they will help you have the right messaging and positioning, uh, differentiation, all of that when you launch the company. So we, you know, if we were taking you out of stealth, we would be talking to analysts three, four, five months before that to try to build those relationships and, um, and, and go like that. So, um, yeah, that, that's, you know, one of the things that we do there with with taking the companies out, right? And and there's I I imagine that this works in tandem with traditional media relations, right? One's not more important in your world than the other, or yeah, I I, I look it... at it as a complement to the to the media relations. Like you got to in media, you need to have a differentiated story. You need to have tight, sharp messaging. You need to be aware of what the trends are happening in the market. And one of the best places to learn all those things is through an analyst relations program. So I look at it as very complementary to media relations. It's like a feeder of great ideas into a media relation program is how I view AR. Great. Um, one thing you mentioned um, in our, our conversations before is that one of the misconceptions about AR is that it's pay to play. Can you explain that to me? I mean, we talked a little bit about that, getting your seat at the table for- Sure. So some of these companies, you know, some, but... some of these younger companies, you know, they they figure, well, hey, you know, I just saw the invoice go by my desk and it was $70,000. So of course now they're going to write good stuff about us, right? You know, right. isn't this pay to play? And it, it's just not that way at all. It's you know they don't they don't care that you paid the seventy dollars. They're there to give an <laughs> honest evaluation of where you land. And one of the things I've noticed is you know when you work inside a company, if you're a founder, it's it's your baby, it's your passion, it's your life. When someone tells you your baby's ugly or not as adorable as you think it is, it's a it's hard to hear. It's tough to take and. They're like, you know, they don't they don't see that coming. They think it's pay to play. And that that's really not what it is at all. It's um it's made the best man or woman win, yeah. really. Yeah, I was gonna say it's hard enough to take but then when you've written that seventy thousand dollar check on top of it, it's really right. Hard you to write play. the big check and you still end up in the laggard portion of a magic quadrant. Right. That's 
not great, but that's the way it is. Everybody in the quadrant paid the same you did. Um, so there's no favoritism. It's really on the merits. One thing I found is a lot of companies are so internal looking. They think they know the market. They think they understand their competitors. But think of the analyst who's sitting in the middle and is doing inquiries and briefings with all 15 of your competitors. They have much more insight, the analyst does, into where those companies are going, what their strategic direction is, what their strengths and weaknesses is, because the analyst isn't just talking to the company. They spend half the day talking to the people buying the products. So the company may be, may be saying, we have the best this and that. They're talking to a buyer saying, their this and that is really not very good. It doesn't work. It doesn't scale. It crashes. So analysts have a perspective of the market that is just much more sophisticated, typically, than someone inside a single company looking outward. And that's why I say the benefits of AR only come if you're willing to listen. If you think it's just all about a one directional conversation and telling an analyst how good your company is, A, you're really not going to influence that analyst. Mm -hmm. And B, you're really missing out on the true value of the analyst relationship. Okay. I appreciate your time. I'm going to go look up and read Magic Quadrants or whatever I'm supposed to read. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time with us and, and giving us some insight on that. Thank you, Diana. Nice to talk to you today. You too. Take care. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.